Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast here on Cleveland.com. I'm your host, Chris Fedor. Normally, we record this on Monday or Tuesday, and we bring it to you on iTunes and Cleveland.com and all the various platforms on Tuesday. But the Cavs take on the Houston Rockets Saturday night. It's a primetime ABC game, and Jeff Van Gundy is going to be on the call of that game, just like he is all the time when it comes to big games on ESPN and ABC. And we had a chance to catch up with him. Now, the Cavs have won three of four. They start off January horrible, finger-pointing, team meetings, rotation changes. Um, but they turn things around towards the end of January, winning three of four. They got the news that Kevin Love is going to be out for about two months with a broken bone in his left hand. Of course, the Cavs have a bunch of other things going on around the team, as per usual. LeBron James, there was a report from ESPN about him being willing this offseason to sit down and listen to the Golden State Warriors. That's a long way away. LeBron addressed that earlier. So we talked to Jeff Van Gundy from ESPN ABC about all of those things on our recent edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. And because the Cavs have the primetime game Saturday night against Houston, wanted to bring you this a couple of days early. But first... Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table, and they are forced to make tough decisions, which often result in hunger. But you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. So donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. All right, so now into our conversation with Jeff Van Gundy, NBA analyst for ESPN and ABC, going to be on the call of Saturday's game between the Rockets and the Cavaliers. Take a listen. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Doing fine. How's everything? It's uh, usually the way it goes in January with them. It's drama-filled, and there starts to be some finger-pointing going on as well. So what do you make of what you've seen with the Cavs recently? Well, it has a little bit of a different feel uh, to it this year. Uh, you know, they're an older team. They've got a lot of guys mm-hmm. uh, that can lay claim to should wanting a bigger role or could have a bigger role or having the past had a bigger role. Um, and so I think they're, they're trying to figure out who they want to play uh, and in what groupings. Uh, but the defense is uh, a continuing dilemma. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure they're either talented enough or committed enough to get it corrected. If you're looking at what Ty has done um, to this point as the head coach, is there anything that you believe that he can do internally to smooth out some of those things that you pointed to? I don't really think so. I think this is going to be on the players and uh, role acceptance. Mm -hmm. Your best players always set the tone. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have a uh, drama-filled locker room, you know the best players have it in their power to correct it. Uh, if you have a great locker room, in large part, that's going to be because of the best players. Uh, and so to me, this is more uh, of an internal uh, player thing that, you know, uh, Isaiah Thomas has got to, you know, play better, but also has to be embraced for what he can do well, not what he can't 
or is not as good at. And I think it was always the same with Love. I think it was bumpy early for, for Love, and mm-hmm. seemingly it's gotten better. So hopefully Isaiah Thomas's situation, Jay Crowder's situation, uh, that, that same path uh, can help them assimilate uh, more quickly. Jeff, you mentioned the defensive struggles. Uh, last year, they were one of the worst in the NBA, but they finished the regular season 22nd in defensive efficiency. This year, they've bounced back and forth between 29th and 30th, and they've given up 125 points five different times in January. So when you look at the defensive issues that they have, do you feel like they're correctable? Well, there's certain parts that are certainly correctable with mm-hmm. more commitment, uh, by the players, more attention to detail, and all, all that goes into um, having it, it, it be, you know, not a stale thing. I, I think, to me, it looks like, you know, <laughs> there's a certain level of fatigue, not physical, but mental fatigue with mm. the whole process of, um, because when, when you're talking about playing defense, every player knows what you're really talking about is commitment to winning. Mm-hmm. And if you have a commitment to winning, you'll play defense. And if you don't, uh, then you won't. And you'll be talking in cliches about what has to be corrected. But everybody knows it starts with commitment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seems like it's a little stale. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe they're so good on offense mm-hmm that they still win the Eastern Conference. But I think everybody would acknowledge that they're not really... I don't think anybody sees them uh, as someone who could beat a Warrior team, a full-strength, healthy Warrior team in a series. If this team were to get back to the NBA Finals this year and lose to the Warriors again in the NBA Finals... Do you think that's a successful season, or do you think, um, given the expectations coming into this year and the way that this team was constructed, that that wouldn't be successful for them? Oh, I think if they got back to the finals, it would be hugely successful. Okay. I think anybody who said they expect Cleveland to win a championship mm-hmm. in this season uh, is delusional. Like They're not even in the same talent ballpark as Golden State. Uh, I, I think Houston has clearly set themselves up as the second-best team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, If they were able to reach the finals again, uh, that would most likely mean that they would have to beat you know, someone better than they've had to beat recently in the first round, either you know, uh, Toronto or Boston in the second round, and then the other one in the third round. And uh, that would be an impressive run uh, for a, this Cavalier team. Do you think they're still the best team in the East or no? I don't think there's any evidence of that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I, I know a lot of people go on past history, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's, you know, in some ways good. Um, but certainly if you're going off this year, there's zero evidence that, they're the best team. Uh, you know, they're a little bit older. They're a lot slower. And uh, they're even less committed defensively. And 
you know, so there's nothing you could say that of any evidence other than the LeBron James plays for their team. I mean, that's what you would come back to. Right. And you know what? That's a pretty compelling reason as I sit here and think about it. <laughs> On the other side of that, there's Boston that, that seems like they're better. You know, Toronto seems like Toronto is better than they were last year. Um, who knows what's going to happen with Milwaukee after um, the change that they made with the head coach. But but when you assess the Eastern Conference, um, who's that other team that you think um, could give them the biggest problems in a seven-game series? Well, I think Boston's defense is uh, tremendous. Uh, their offense uh, has been um, sporadic. Mm-hmm. They're relying on two young wingmen in uh, Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum. Um, so their offense has been an up and a little bit up and down, um, but defensively, uh, with their size and their length, uh, they're really good. Uh, and then Toronto has never played as well in the playoffs as yeah. they have in the regular season. Why that is, I'm not sure. Maybe it's tied into Kyle Lowry directly, or or maybe it's just they run up against a Cavs team that is just a lot better than them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of tend toward the, the latter. Um, but I think you're right. Both of those teams, uh, I think, would cause major problems for Cleveland. And uh, and yet we keep coming back, you know, circling back to the only piece of evidence that if you're Cleveland that you can hold on to is we've got LeBron James and the other teams don't. Yep. Jeff, going back to something that you said about the talent gap between the Warriors and the Cavs, which probably grew in the offseason when the Cavs lost Kyrie. Kyrie, somebody who gave the Warriors problems the last couple of years in the NBA Finals. Um, With the trade deadline right around the corner, is there something that the Cavs can do to significantly close that gap? Or do do you look at what's out there on the trade market and say that, you know, those are just small pieces and maybe band aids in the short term? Well, I'm not sure what's out there. So mm-hmm. I think whenever you're talking about trade, you have to talk specifics uh, about that. And a lot of it really does come down to, um, to me, uh, you know, what is Cleveland's priorities right. at this trade deadline? Is it to prepare for uh, the rest of this year and give it one last shot uh, together before maybe they – you know, start a rebuild if James decides to go? Mm-hmm. Or or do they, are they thinking long-term, like, since we don't know what James is going to do, uh, we're not going to uh, commit to any, any type of trade that binds us to, you know, further years or a loss of other assets. So I, I'm really interested to see uh, which way they decide to do it. There's a name that continues to get linked to the Cavs. DeAndre Jordan, Cavs fans have attached themselves to him because, one, he seems to be available. Two, the Cavs have had so many defensive issues. Three, they haven't had that traditional, quote-unquote, rim protector uh, since Timofey Mozgov left, basically. Um, If the Cavs could find a way to get DeAndre Jordan, how do you think he changes the dynamics of this team? Well, it depends on what they have to give up. Sure. You know, um... I think, obviously, uh, Jordan is a terrific player. Um, 
I think it marginally helps them uh, if you're talking about in a matchup against the Warriors. Gotcha. Um, but in the Eastern Conference, I think, you know, if the price is reasonable and they don't have to lose, let's say it's a draft pick instead of, you know, a contributing player, mm-hmm. then certainly that's going to help them um, uh, in the Eastern Conference. But listen, I think the Warriors are so far out in front, it would take an injury or uh, a debacle, uh, like the Draymond Green debacle from a couple years ago, um, to get you know Cleveland within a, a chance of being good enough to beat. Yeah. The Warriors in series. That seems to be the reality that they're facing too. When when you mention what they're going to do at the trade deadline, are they going to try and add pieces for the now just to get a little bit closer to the Warriors, or does it make more sense for them to think about the long term, the ramifications? I, I think that's probably what they're weighing right now in in the front office too. Yeah, and I hope you know. Hopefully, uh, uh, James is giving them an indication. Uh, of what he intends to do so that they can plan accordingly. Um, I, I agree with James in that it's always interesting to me when a player leaves in free agency, um, it's his loyalties question, but when a mm-hmm. team trades a player, you know, that, you know, that's just business as usual. And I agree with him there, but I would hope there would be enough mutual respect over the number of years they've been together uh, the first time and now that he could just honestly go in there and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to most likely come back or I'm most likely gone. Now, he doesn't owe them that, but I would hope that they have a deep enough feeling that they'll both be able to honestly discuss you know, what each one of them plans on doing so that it can be a win-win for both sides. Um, doesn't seem like it goes that way, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think it should go that way. Along those same lines, Jeff, th- there was a new report about Dan Gilbert, the owner of the team, having more say in personnel decisions, especially now that former general manager David Griffin is no longer in the mix. It's new GM Kobe Altman. He's a rookie GM. He hasn't been in this kind of role before. You've been an NBA coach, obviously. How concerning would that be from an organizational standpoint to have an owner involved when it comes to personnel decisions like that? Well, I think he's probably been, uh, you know, all these sort of anonymous stories. I always try to figure out what's the angle of the person writing it, so mm-hmm. who could it have come from, right? Yeah. Yep. Because there's, there's agendas all over the place. I, I, I suspect Dan Gilbert has been uh, quite involved in personnel um, since he's owned the team. Uh, and and that makes sense. And it's his money, so it makes sense. I also think that just because you you have knowledge, and I don't know where he made his money, but let's say, uh, where did he make his money? I don't even know. Real estate. Uh, all right, say so he made his money in real estate, and he yeah. knows that cold. Just because you're brilliant in real estate doesn't make you brilliant in uh, basketball. Yep. And so, um, listen, they've been a highly volatile organization. Uh, they love to fire people, uh, coaches, general managers, make change. And, uh, you know, some have worked, 
mm-hmm. uh, well, and, and maybe some haven't. Um, but as an owner, that's his prerogative. And uh, if he wants to become uh, a draft nick and a guru, uh, the only thing I say is own it. You know, don't blame others. If you're involved, don't blame others for any failure to pick and only celebrate when you get the ones right. Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, most of these guys, most of the owners that I know uh, that are heavily involved, they love the draft mm-hmm. and they love the trade deadline more than anything because that's where they're intimately involved. Mm. Um, uh, you know, a regular season game sort of boring to them because they really don't have any impact on that. Right. But as, when it comes to the draft, the trade deadlines, free agency, hey, that's when they're uh, front and center. And I, I think some owners, uh, you know, I mean, that is the highlight of the year, even more so than, you know, the playoffs. And along those lines, with that report, there was something that said Dan Gilbert has been in communication with Isaiah Thomas, and he texts back and forth with Isaiah, and he's formed this new relationship with Isaiah. He's he's now trying to um, fit in this offense and fit defensively Isaiah that is coming off this significant hip injury. Um, as I mentioned, there was a team meeting. Uh, Isaiah was part of that, obviously. What do you make of, of Isaiah Thomas's fit here in Cleveland? And, and do you think that, given all the time that he has missed, um, that he can get back to the Isaiah that he was last year in Boston? I think he can play very well. I think he's playing in a far different environment, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, you know, with love, maybe second or third. In Boston, he was clearly the number one guy. Yeah, and so I think it's different playing off the ball um, as James dominates the ball. I think it's much different. Um, I think also uh, it's difficult for players when they've missed time and they're not totally back rhythm uh, when they're in this type of a dramatic environment where it seems that the anonymous stories and the anonymous blame game starts really quickly, yep. and uh, and that can wear on you. I would think as a player, um, a little bit, uh, and so I, I think a lot of it goes to. I think he can play well. I think a lot of it goes to you know obviously health, secondarily like you know feeling supported, but also the ability to be mentally strong and thick skinned and know this is how. Cleveland and any team that James is on operates. There's constant drama mm-hmm. uh, and there's constant constant anonymous blame. And he also ha- is worried, I'm sure, like most guys would be, uh, about how all of this impacts uh, the contract he's able to secure in the offseason. Tomorrow's game between the Cavs and the Rockets. You mentioned Houston and some of the changes that they made this offseason trying to close that talent gap on the Warriors. Um, where do you think the, the Rockets have grown the most? Um, and, and what makes you think that maybe uh, they can be more formidable in a playoff series? Well, I think they have two uh, great all-time players in Harden and Chris Paul. 
Um, and so they can have 48 minutes of incredible point guard play. Mm-hmm. I think then they added uh, uh, P.J. Tucker and mm-hmm. Ma Bute, and because of that, they're much better equipped today to be able to guard the elite offensive teams, whether it's Golden State, Cleveland, whoever it may be. Sure. I think they're just much... Uh, they've added three tough-minded, highly competitive, defensive-oriented players, all Mabute and Tucker, and I think you know that gives them a better chance, uh, much more versatility defensively. So I think their roster reconstruction uh, was uh, as successful as you can have a summer be, realistically, mm-hmm. and yet it, it, it's, you know, they still have a very outside chance of being able to dethrone a team that has the widest talent discrepancy between best team and second best team that I can ever remember in the NBA. It's unbelievable. Speaking of the Warriors, um, ESPN had the report about LeBron James willing to listen to the Warriors in the offseason. We talked to him earlier today at practice. He called it, quote-unquote, nonsense. He doesn't want to talk about his future this year. He wants to wait to the summer. What was your reaction when you heard that or when you saw that story? It seemed to me like that was, uh, well, you know, somebody had to give that. I mean, either you believe someone gave that story to the writer or you think the writer made it up. So I say someone gave it to him. Okay. So who would have who would have given him that? Like, would that have been James's people? Mm-hmm. Would it have been Warrior people? Would it have been management in, in Cleveland? I mean, I... Listen, I don't know how these games work. Uh, <laughs> it seems like a, a total stone waste of time. Yeah. Um, and w- what I don't like about the whole thing is an anonymous story can be spun out there and then you ask the player, and maybe it was James who started it anyway, I don't know, but mm-hmm. let me say, then you ask the player to comment on a rumor without any um, anyone else having to answer for it. Right. And it just seems an odd way we do business and maybe that's you know as much as the NBA has changed uh, the way it's covered has changed to me as much as anything I I think some of these things are like absurd and we report them like with like this breathlessness like we are breaking these major stories I mean he could be interested (laughs) in going to the Warriors if they can pay him $35 $35 million. Right. Well, guess what? I think most people would be pretty interested in going to a team that would pay them $35 million. Yep. I don't I don't see the, the, the import of that report, but it seems like I'm one of the few because <laughs> these stories get reported like they're a major, I mean, they're on a scroll. They're like, I'm like, really? This is like <laughs> news? But so if he were to, if he were to leave Jeff in the off season and he's got that right to do that and he's earned that power, how do you think that would affect his legacy to leave Cleveland again? Um. Well, I think in Cleveland it wouldn't. He, he would. It would go right back to what happened before. I think they'll probably he and the Cleveland uh, management ownership will be in a fight for the narrative right. of how he departs. Uh, just like they were the first time. And, 
you know, you'll see all these anonymous stories and certain writers who are on the James side will wrote, write pro-James stories and uh, who's close to Gilbert will wrote, write for, uh, pro-management stories. Um, and so to me, if I was uh, James, I, I wouldn't really worry about that. He's okay. already been through it once. Yeah. Um, the thing I, I'm trying to figure out, like, and, and maybe you guys know because you, you're around him all the time, is what are his priorities right. uh, going forward? Is, is it to live in a certain area? Is it about putting himself in the best position to uh, win a championship? Um, is it putting himself in the best position to win a championship while making a max salary? Because mm. that's two different things. Sure. Um, to me, hey, you can sign the mid-level anywhere, you know? Uh, yeah. So you can go to Houston or Golden State or wherever you want to go. Um, but until you know his priorities, it would be hard to understand or even try to predict where he wants to play in the future. Yeah. Um, because it it seems to me that um, the Western Conference, while not as deep um, maybe as the East, you have a uh, you have two superpowers right now, mm-hmm. uh, and that don't seem to be going anywhere. So it wouldn't seem like going west unless you go to one of those two teams. You'd have a better chance of reaching the finals and ultimately playing for a championship. But maybe that's not exactly. No, James in year whatever it would be, 16, may have different priorities. Maybe he wants to just live in a certain area. Uh, maybe he wants his kids to go to school in a certain area. I, like, again, I, I, don't, I don't hazard a guess because I don't know him, mm-hmm. and uh, I certainly don't know what his priorities are. That's interesting. Good way to look at it. Jeff, thanks so much for the perspective. Really appreciate the time. All right, take care.